All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and today I'm talking to you from Malbray, California. It's a suburb outside of San Francisco, and this is the 26th day of April 2022. Do you like to remind you that I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks? You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. Uh, we like to uh, promote Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And especially if you're interested in biotech stocks, uh, also some gold stocks and energy stocks. Those are the areas that Chen does an excellent job in. It's chenpicks.com to sign up for Chen's letter, chenpicks.com. And Michael Oliver, who's with us today, it's olivermsa.com for his excellent Momentum and Structural Analysis newsletter, which uh, I must say I would be lost without it. Uh, I do want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. So I want to encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about this show uh, to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions at number four, taylor at gmail.com. We do also want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. This week's sponsors are Irving Resources, Noble Resources, El Oro Resources, Coro Asset Corp, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining, and Reina Gold Corp. I've titled today's show, Markets to Own with Outside Money Trumping Inside Money. John Rubino, Michael Oliver return as guests, and Nicholas Rodway of uh, Core Asset Corp visits for the first time. After 1971, when President Nixon detached gold from the global monetary system, the U.S. dollar became the uncontested world's reserve currency. The U.S. has abused that privilege by printing excessive quantities of money to fund the expansion of its empire. In the process, America consumed more than it produced, running up huge amounts of debt, both to its own citizens and even more importantly to foreigners. In that process, some people became filthy rich, but America's capacity to produce life-sustaining goods and services declined dramatically, and America became vulnerable not only because it was no longer producing life-sustaining products, but also because it became massively indebted to foreign countries, including adversaries, most notably China. Americans seem to have forgotten the fact that financial strength is imperative for the survival of an empire. But American, America's adversaries have not lost fact, sight of that fact. China has built up enormous foreign currency reserves. It holds around a trillion dollars in U.S. dollars and huge amounts of other currencies as well as America's foreign currency reserves. At the same time, America's foreign currency reserves are minuscule. I should also mention that China has amassed huge amounts of gold, which is 
the ultimate money, of course. So has Russia, for that matter. So Americans own other countries far more uh, than they owe us. America is the world's largest debtor nation, but perhaps most importantly, China, Russia have built up, as I just mentioned, huge gold reserves. And uh, in a way, uh, and of course, China continues to produce uh, goods that the world needs, and Russia is producing massive amounts of, of strategic minerals that the world needs for uh, modern uh, economic activities. And, and of course, most importantly, Russia is the largest producer of oil and gas on the planet. So that puts those two countries in a superior position economically, I would argue, the, uh, to the United States. While America seemed to be, uh, while Americans seem to be ignorant of financial vulnerability, the recent move by Russia to require payments for oil and gas in Russian rubles or gold is forcing Americas for the first time in decades to begin to understand economic reality, namely that you can't consume more than you produce forever. So when Russia said it would send natural gas to unfriendly countries only if they paid for it with Russian rubles or gold, an old concept of what money actually is is now becoming is, is now being reintroduced to Americans. Many European countries like Germany, for example, depend heavily on natural gas from Russia, not only to keep from freezing in the wintertime, but also to keep the wheels of industry turning. Russia won't any longer accept money created out of thin air, uh, like the euro or the U.S. dollars. It is demanding it be paid for in its own currency, that is, the oil and gas it sells must be paid for in its own currency or in gold. So what Russia and other adversarial countries are doing is teaching the West a lesson, namely that real money has to be backed by something tangible, not money created out of thin air. In other words, the reality of the four dimensions of time and space are teaching us that outside money, namely commodities, namely commodities must now replace inside money, namely U.S. dollars or euros created out of thin air that are backed by absolutely nothing other than, in the case of the United States, the U.S. military force. At least American policymakers are finally waking up to the fact that they have a serious inflation problem on their hands, and so they are signaling a tight monetary policy that is aimed at letting the air out of massively over, overvalued financial markets. But we know from all past experiences and actions that this attempt at so-called soft landing will trigger a massive decline in stock prices that will send the Fed doing a 180-degree turn towards even more ridiculous money printing. That can only be bullish for gold and commodities in general when measured against an inflated monetary supply. The tight money posture of the Fed has sent the stock market and the bond markets much lower, and gold, too, has fallen sharply in the last couple of days, which is why I'm really happy to have Michael Oliver here today for his perspective on gold. He'll be with us momentarily. John Rubino will join us during the second half of today's show, and I'm happy to welcome Nicholas Rodway, who visits for the first time to introduce Core Asset Corp. That's a company that is exploring for gold, silver, and base metals in a carbonate replacement style of mineralization in British Columbia. The targets are enormous, and the company has a very strong technical team. With management owning some 36% of the company, it's pretty obvious that the interest of that company, uh, its management, is aligned with shareholders. I am really excited to have Nicholas join me today after our first commercial break, but right now I'm even more happy to have Michael Oliver with me to help us make some sense of these crazy markets. Thanks for joining me, Michael. 
Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, the price of gold, as uh, everyone in listening to this show probably is more than aware of, has fallen over a cliff over the past couple of days, sending gold bugs into a panic. But you seem to be largely dismissive of their fears. Can you tell us why you are not overly concerned and why, in fact, this may be a good news for gold bulls in the long run? Okay, well, the miners and silver aside, because they're wild childs, okay? In other words, when gold goes up, they go up more. When gold goes down, they go down more. So they're all panicked. But let's look at gold. Uh, it went back to its old high of 2020. That technically is, is a different situation than we had at the last major top in 2011, when gold was at 1900. When it fell from that high, it never could get back to the high. And finally, it fell apart. Mm-hmm. When it made its 2015 low at 1,050 area, it rallied sharply several hundred dollars and never could, with a several downside assaults, get back to the low. Couldn't even get uh-huh. back to 1,100, much less 1,050. Mm-hmm. Repeated efforts to do that. So meaning that those two peaks or prominent extremes in the market were isolated. Okay, well, we had a peak in 2020 in the summer at a price of 2,070 on a $10 increment basis or 2050 on a $50 increment. And uh-huh. then we dropped several times since then, could never get back up to the high. Mm-hmm. March the 8th got back up to the high. That differentiates this current action from the 2011 top in that price alone is saying, hey, I'm back at the high. The air up mm-hmm. here is not so thin. Mm-hmm. Well, when it got there, they got immediate selling that took it back under 1900 within six trading days. Mm-hmm. That occurred in the second week or so of March, after that March 8th high. The low then, and that pullback, I think, was like 1883. Okay. Since then, there have been a couple rallies, a couple sell-offs. Right now, we're trading either side of 1900, and we seem to be stalled here the last two days. So, we're, yes, we're, we're down near the low end of that range, but when we look at our momentum work, particularly the shorter-term stuff, because the long-term is not in jeopardy whatsoever. You've got to get gold down at minimum down in the 1830s before we get mm-hmm. concerned about quarterly momentum and therefore potential further drop. But right now, we're spinning our wheels either side of 1900 three times in a row now over the last mm-hmm. six weeks. So gold is holding. Now, admittedly, over the last week or so, while the S&P has plummeted from its what we call a counter-trend rally and has failed, mm-hmm. We think it's going lower. We're bearish on the stock market, have been since January and February. Um, rallies are for sales, not for being enticed into. Okay? Mm-hmm. Gold has resisted that. Now, over the last several days, admittedly, it has sort of joined in, like, oh, I'm going to join the stock market. Right now, if I had to say that what is the most prominent consensus opinion in the gold market, it is this. Stock market going down, gold's going down. All that people can remember is March 2020. Mm-hmm. There's another period that lasted about four weeks in October of 2008, mm-hmm. where the stock market, in a downturn, precipitously dropped 30-plus percent in a matter of about four weeks. Mm-hmm. That's crash dimension. Mm-hmm. Both of those fit those attributes. The March 2020 break took a handful of weeks, dropped 35 percent, and it was a drop in from the September high in the S&P to a low in October of 33%. So very rapid, very deep. Gold joined in in both occasions. 
Mm-hmm. In both occasions, it basically wiped the slate clean on gold, where it, it stopped everybody out that's going to be stopped out, and it turned around and went vertical after that. Okay, uh-huh. Now the question now is this. Is gold going to have a technical tantrum and join in the stock market? Mm-hmm. Our assessment is on the stock market, and we are major bears. We've been major bears since basically anticipated the December high. Shortly after that, we've turned negative, depending on the major index. We think the S&P's next drop is going to take it down about another 400 points to 3,800. That's like a you know 9%, 10% drop from here. Mm-hmm. NASDAQ, I think, is going to drop to its next support about 15% below here. Mm-hmm. And at both of those levels, we expect to find some trading support. Bear markets in the stock market almost never contain crashes until either the tail end, like in 2008, uh, or never. Like mm-hmm. the 2000 bear market never crashed to the 2002 low. It just arm wrestled its way down. Um, we think this bear market will be a typical major bear market in stocks, probably very deep, but not a crash. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then gold's not going to be faced with that moment in time where Everybody says, sell everything, you know, including gold. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very interesting, over, I would say, over the next four or five trading days. Gold is either going to participate or it's going to snub its nose at it. And you're mm-hmm. going to suddenly find gold back up into the mid-1900s. And if you see that, I think gold is then saying, everything else can go south. I'm not going to this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're open to the possibility you could get a sharp break. But I think the bears have to prove it like almost immediately, like in the next, let's say, five or six trading days. If they don't, and we find gold instead continues stable either side of 1900 and starts to firm back to the mid-1900s, I think you can circle gold as the standout. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the place to be you know, during the, the coming financial market crisis. Mm-hmm. So it's going well, to be certainly... very interesting next week, I think. Right, certainly. If we have it, have had a double top then in gold. If it could get through that, I oh, guess it would be a lot of lot, Yeah, it'd yeah. be a, 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 a lot of blue sky. Oh, it's the, you ever go back to 2050 gold? You don't even have to go to the high of 2070. You're back on a point and figure chart, fifty dollar by three increments. You know the, the folks that keep those charts, they should cheer the downticks we had from 2050 back to 1900. Because what that did is it set up a double top, meaning. If you return to it, it's highly likely to become a triple top breakout. Mm-hmm. If you follow yeah. the logic there, so down ticks can mm-hmm. sometimes be bullish because they set up structures, mm-hmm. and I think right. that's what gold did. Now the question now is, does this sell off, which really ended six days after the March eighth high, and hasn't extended beyond that, uh, does it gel here and ignore the stock market, or does it join in? And our right, real question is yeah. not. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, real quickly here, because we're out of time, I just wondered, uh, you had put out something about the possibility of a selective commodity correction. Could you take uh, 30 seconds or a minute, perhaps, yeah, to just uh, comment the, on that? The broad commodity complex is open to a small correction. I'd say most you're going to get out of the Bloomberg Commodity Index is about a 10% pullback from where you are right now. It's already off its highs to some extent. Uh, but when you look within the commodity complex, there's a mixture of markets. They're not in harmony. They were in harmony when they turned up on October of 2020. We call for a commodity explosion at that point. But they've since divorced where you've got some, like oil looks like it could go into a violent range and not go anywhere for a while. Natural gas looks like it could go up. Uh, The grains look like they're going up. So you get a mixed picture 
inside the commodity complex. If some things look like they could correct, some things look like they could advance such that the net on balance is the Bloomberg Commodity Index doesn't really break down much at all. Mm-hmm. All right. Instead, well, we have, we'll have stability to... here. So. Well, all right. We can use some of that. That's for sure. Um, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Uh, always great to have you with us. Thanks, Jay. Uh, we'll look to talk to you in a couple of weeks again. All right. Folks, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because uh, I will be uh, talking to my next guest. Um, I'm going to be talking uh, I'm going to be talking to who am I talking to? I'm talking to Rodway, Rodway, Nick Rodway um, of Core Assets Management. I'll be right back with Nick, so don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQX is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me for the first time, Nicholas Rodway. He is the president and CEO of Core Asset Corp. It's a new sponsor to this show. It's a company that I've invested in personally and one that is a recommendation in my newsletter. Nick holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in geology from Memorial University in Newfoundland, a Master's degree in Exploration and Mining Leadership from Queen's University, and is a member of the Association of Engineers and Geoscientists of British Columbia. He has worked intensively with publicly traded companies for the past 10 years, where he has played strategic roles in company building, financing, investor communications, property acquisitions, and project management. Uh, Core Assets is exploring for precious metals and base metals and uh, carbonate replacement uh, and porphyry scarring systems in British Columbia. 
uh, given early evidence of a very high-grade mineralization along sizable structures. It, I'm really pleased, personally very excited about this company and uh, really happy to have Nick with us today. Uh, before I say hello to Nick, I should just mention Core Asset Corp. Trades in Canada under the symbol CC. You can buy it down here in the States as I have under the symbol CCOOF. 77.1 million shares. Uh, when I looked at it a little earlier today, it was trading down, as most things are these days. 59 cents in U.S. money, giving it a market cap, if my arithmetic is good, at about $46 million. Um, Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I've been following you for uh, quite a few years, and it's uh, an honor to finally be on, on your show. So thank you for that. Well, the people uh, people that should investors should really follow are people like you who are making it happen and, and finding uh, wealth, creating wealth through exploration and development. So, and I'm really excited about, about your company and your story. So I'm so happy that you're with me. I understand. So you've got two properties there in, in northern British Columbia. You've got the blue property, which, as I understand, is a carbonate replacement system target. That's got copper, silver, lead, and zinc in it. Uh, there's then there's the Lavadier property that is a copper silver scarn target. Do I have that right? So um, basically, what it is is we have one extremely large land package, and and the reason why we have a large land package is because we just we keep finding mineralized new mineralized areas. So what we've done is we've split up our large land package, which is over a thousand square kilometers, into two projects. So. The whole property is called the blue property. Then within that blue property, we have the Laverdeer project or target, and then we have the Silver Lime uh, project or target. Laverdeer is more of a scarn porphyry story, and the Silver Lime area is a brand new discovery, and that's a carbonate replacement style uh, style occurrence. All right, I got it. So Laverdeer is really part of the blue property, and uh, I was thinking there were two two separate names. Well, let's let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit. Then maybe first talk about the carbonate replacement system. Yeah, what, what you yeah, found sure. there? So, yeah, so I mean, the, that is what is getting most people really excited right now. And and CRD is the acronym we use for carbonate replacement deposit. Mm -hmm. And and what that means is basically you're having a acid rich rock, which would be your ore fluid, which is replacing a more basic rock, and that would be a limestone. So it's actually replacing your carbonate unit. And I've went up there in I've been I've been up there about 20 25 times now and since 2016 when uh, we we initially started looking at the Labrador project and my goal basically every time I went up there was to do a little bit of work on on Labrador and then also try some new ideas and some new things um, that were based all based upon desktop studies that I did uh, during the winter months in in Vancouver uh -huh. Canada. So uh -huh. this past season ended up being the most successful, and you know it's not often that a uh, plan works out, you know. But uh, we did some did some work in the area there, and I noticed there was a lot of uh, massive sulfide coming out of the ground in a white mm -hmm. rock, and that's the carbonate uh -huh. unit. And the the idea of this 2021 se season was to just go over the next couple of ridges and. And we knew that the uh, glaciers were receding, and, that, and we also knew that there was no work ever done in the area due to glacial mm -hmm. cover. So, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was the best day I ever had in the field, and I, I, I just walked over with a, with a partner of mine over the top of the hill, and we could just see the massive sulfide 
just blatantly in the side of this, of this mountain, and, and that that became the Grizzly Discovery Zone, we call it. And and for mm. the listeners, just to give an idea of scale, you know, we have a building in, in Canada called the CN Towers, one of the taller buildings in the world, it's about 560 meters in height. And I just tell people that it's basically like a CN Tower on its side, and it's exposed at surface. So it's not very often that you come across something like that these days, you know? Yeah, and uh, yeah, you showed me uh, samples of the of that carbonate replacement rock when we met up in Vancouver. Really, you know, you handed yeah. it to me, and I almost dropped it. It was so heavy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh, could you talk about your? Uh, oh, maybe just then also go then uh, talk a little bit more about the. Uh, the other is the Scarn target, Silver yeah, Scarn so, target. I mean, so, so both of the um, projects have exposed Scarn uh, on them. And, and the way I differentiate my Scarn from my, my CRD is, you know, there's more calc silicate minerals uh, in, in a Scarn versus a CRD. A CRD has about 90% metal. So you're talking, mm-hmm. you know, basically pure metal off the ground. Um, so at the yeah. Labrador area, uh, at, there is a large magnetite, copper scarn exposed and it's for about 500 meters so it's quite substantial and that scarn has been drilled actually in the in the 70s uh, by some, by a company and um, they received some really good values actually you know there's a 50 meter intercept there of about 1.7 percent copper and and back then mm. they didn't assay for gold and there's also a you know there, I've taken a lot of surface samples in the area and I've, I'm getting molybdenum and gold as well in, in in my samples, and I get, you know, it's not uncommon to get over 10% copper. So we are thinking that that scarn is, is, you know, it's intrusive related, so it's related to some sort of pork resource, and the goal at that property is to try to trace that scarn back to a causative porphyry. So we think we have all the ingredients there uh, to find a large porphyry on, on that project alone, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's an exciting target as it is. But then you move over 15 kilometers to the west, where I don't think that these are related exactly, uh, these two two occurrences, but you go 15 kilometers to the west, and that's when you start running into these limestone beds. And, uh-huh. and for in order in order to get a carbonate replacement deposit, you got to have limestone, and it needs to be a very favorable unit. And what I mean by that is it needs to have the perfect permeability and porosity in order for these fluids mm-hmm. to migrate through it. Mm-hmm. And Mm-hmm. What separates us from a lot of these larger deposits in the Golden Triangle is that we do have a favorable limestone bed, and that's why we're getting these carbonate replacement occurrences. And, and we've mapped over 250 of them right now at surface, and it's over an area of about 6.6 by 2 kilometers. So right now, wow. from all the studying I've done about carbonate replacements, uh, it would be the, the one of the largest in the world, basically, uh, that, that is uh, exposed at surface. So that's why we're, we're so excited here. And, you know, it's not often that you're part of a project where you're there from the very beginning and, you know, you can actually go there and pick this metal up off the ground. You know, a lot of the time we're using geophysics trying to, you know, just get a sniff of this type of thing. But, no, you can actually go there and, and you can walk this thing out for six and a half kilometers, right? So it's, it's quite spectacular. Well, obviously, it's far north in British Columbia, and also uh, you've got the receding uh, snow, the receding ice caps there uh, that that now make it visible, and I guess explains why this inc- incredible uh, opportunity wasn't discovered previously. Yeah, that's that's right, and I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg, you know, as cliche as it is to say, but you know, we we have gone to some other areas now within that, you know, a thousand. Square kilometers, and we're seeing the same stuff along this whole this whole belt, which which this limestone was not mapped 
um, back in when it was matte back in the 50s because it was not exposed. So people didn't know it was there. And uh, at that time, people were looking at vein-type deposits in the area, yeah. not carbonate replacement. And, and veins can be typically discontinuous, but our model with carbonate replacement is that if you can find these things at surface or you can tap into them at, at depth, then you should be able to trace them back to the porphyry source. That's the, that's the whole idea. So it's quite simple, really. Yeah, amazing scale, uh, amazing, uh, seemingly uh, really high-grade metals, um, high-grade mineralization. So uh, you're going to be, how soon can you get in there and start drilling? Because I can't wait for you to start drilling this thing out. The, these different deposits, these different uh, targets should be very exciting. But how soon can you get there? It's far north in B.C. And, and how, what is the um, infrastructure like up there? So we're actually, we, we've been working the property for the past uh, month right now because it's, it's the best time to work there is in the winter because you can get there by snowmobile. Um, it takes about anywhere between 20 and 40 minutes to get down there in snowmobile. So I, I was up there a couple of weeks ago, and it was the first time I actually traveled down there um, on a snowmobile. And it was amazing because it, it's just like a paved road going all the way down there. You know, it's the most cheap way you can basically, you know, it's the cheapest way you can access a property. Um, and mm-hmm. it's all thanks to, you know, the thick ice that's on Atlan Lake. So, you mm-hmm. know, this is our first, pro- you know, this is our, our first drill program. So, you know, it's pre- it is quite aggressive uh, for, for a first-pass program. But, um, you know, when you're going into these places at the first time, you're not really sure what you're going what, to, what's going to, you're going to run into, right? So uh-huh. we didn't want to mobilize too early on this first season. So we're going to mm-hmm. be mobilizing the drills in June. Uh, it'll be the first week of June. We'll have pad builders up there uh, in, in the next two weeks, basically, um, building pads. So once we figure out what we're dealing with up there, you know, like we know we got something for sure, but, it, you know, how much is there and is the grade sufficient? But once we start figuring those things out, then we, we will be able to have longer seasons, of course. And, you know, we, we, we have one drill this year, and, I mean, we're fortunate to have one because there's not, there's not uh, many people available anymore. Right. Right. because it's so busy here right but uh, right. but the accessibility is just it's it's crazy how easy it is to do it and until you actually go up there and you experience what i've experienced you know it doesn't you know it's hard to really understand but when you can just mm-hmm. uh, you know stay in a hotel and then within 40 minutes you can skidoo snowmobile down to a project that has massive sulfide at service that's something spectacular <laughs> you know yeah it, it certainly would be and uh, so y- I should, should just mention that um, management has a big chunk of the of the company, so that their um, their incentives are aligned with the shareholders. I think, and and I believe also that Crestcat Capital is an early investor as well. Yeah, do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, you got that correct, and and that's something else. You know, that, that adds to this story because the structure of the company is very tight, and and believe it or not, you know, twenty six percent is owned by insiders, and if you include Crestcat. Uh, in in that as well, they, it's about forty one percent owned by mm. uh, you know friendly hands, and there's only forty one million of the seventy four million that are actually in circulation because I've been right. fortunate enough to be able to do pretty aggressive lockups. Um, so mm-hmm. you know a lot of my stock is locked up, and uh, the last finance we did with Crestcat is a year and a half lockup with uh, releases thirty three per thirty three point three percent released every six months. So. So what I'm trying to do here is just, uh, you know, keep people in here for the, for the long run and, you know, to make sure that the hands that are holding the shares are strong hands. And, and that's how you get your appreciation and stock raise. That's how you get your value. And, 
And right now, that's what we're seeing, you know, in the market. It is thinly traded, and that's because we control the majority of the shares, and we plan to continue to control them. And, and hopefully within, you know, the next four to six years, um, we, can, we can be, you know, up there with uh, some, of the, some of the larger companies and then doing, hopefully, to do a transaction with, with a mining company at some point. That would be, the, you know, the ultimate goal, right? Yeah, well, it would seem as though the possibilities are very are certainly there. The the potential is certainly there, and it's a very exciting story. I know, listening to uh, Quentin Henning talk about it on Crescent Gets Active uh, was the first time I was introduced to the story. It's really, really exciting. I know Quentin is very high on it as well. Um, I I think this is one our our listeners should keep an eye on. What should they be watching out for? Then I guess you'll have some news as you start to build the pads and get active up there. But you've done well. Just telling the story, the stock has performed quite well. Of course, it's gotten hit a little bit now with this uh, pullback in gold and the, the general equity market. But people should be watching for what? What sort of news should they be looking for? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you nailed it about the story, right? Like, it's so exciting, and that, that's what kind of gets that's what gets me up in the morning. And, and just you know, having skin in the game like I do oh, is just mm-hmm. you know, it really gets me going. And 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 I, I got no problem working all day and night on this thing because I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it. And, <laughs> and just seeing it from the beginning, you know, and, and seeing how, how these things can evolve is just, there's nothing that beats that. Um, but basically, yeah, we, we will have some news here about some geophysics that we did. We did do a, a V10 survey, which is a airborne geophysical uh-huh. survey over the whole uh, original property size. And uh, we, we just had some news that came out in the Labrador area there um, a week ago or so. And then the next area will be the Silver Line project so so again you know we we can see this stuff at surface right so it's it's a little bit different how you use your geophysics when you can when you can already see things at surface but you know once we poke a few holes into these anomalies and the areas that we we do see it at surface we'll have a better idea then of of what the geophysics actually means but um but those results will be coming out in next two weeks and then oh, good. You know, it's going right. to be it's going to be your normal uh, flow of, of events, you know, where the the drills are mobilized, the drills are turning, and then you know we'll probably see the first bit of core coming out of the the ground maybe in the first uh, week or second week of June, and then you know actually it's going to take a while to to build this thing. You know, it's not going to be easy, right? It's going to take a long no. time, um, and especially with turnaround times at the labs and whatnot. You know, we probably won't see our first assay back until you know probably the beginning of August, and then uh, with regards to the Silver Lime discovery area, you know, we, we probably won't get that back until the fall. But uh, with these type of deposits, the, the the core and the rock is is quite spectacular, spectacular and very visually appealing. So you know, unlike a gold uh, disseminated gold deposit, you, right. know, you can tell right. when you're when you're in the good stuff, basically. So yeah, it's going to exactly. be the most exciting field season. Uh, that I've ever I've ever taken part of, and I, I can't wait to get started. Well, certainly looking forward to it. And yes, I, I realized that I was going to ask you. I think you can probably get some visual indication, at least uh, you geologists can, uh, about whether you've hit something good or not, even if you don't have the exact numbers. So we'll be uh, we'll be certainly watching, uh, Nick. Well, this is uh, this going to be a very exciting story, I think, and uh, really glad that you could join us and become a sponsor, and also um, tell our listeners about about this opportunity. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, and I look forward to seeing you uh, in, in Toronto in, in June as well. So, Right, exactly. You're going to be with us at the, at the Metals Investor Forum, I believe, so I'm looking forward to that. All right, great. Thanks, Nick. Well, folks, don't go away because John Rubino will be right with us. We'll be with us right after the break. 
Uh, he's going to talk about some of well, what he sees in these crazy markets, uh, certainly what, uh, what they call the, uh, the old money overtaking, or let's say that, anyway, we'll be right back with John Rubino to talk about uh, these crazy markets. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Reina Gold is a newly listed company trading on the OTCQB under the symbol REYGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol REYG. Its flagship asset, La Gloria, is a 24,000-hectare district-scale property in the prolific Mojave Sonora Megashear in Mexico, between La Herradura, Mexico's biggest gold mine by Fresnillo, and El Shonate mine by Alamos Gold. La Gloria has very high-grade sampling and is in the first phase of a 10,000-meter drill program. The technical team is led by Dr. Peter McGaw, co-founder of Mag Silver, and Doug Kirwin, former VP of Ivanhoe Mines. Learn more at reinagold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have John Rubino with us once again. He is the founder of the popular website, dollarcollapse.com. It's a website I strongly suggest you visit and visit every day because there's a lot of news, uh, a lot of uh, good articles written, some of them written by John, but a lot of other people as well. Uh, and it's, a, it's a, I think, a must-visit website, one that I go to every day. John, thanks for joining us again. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me back on. It's really good, really good to have you with us. Uh, I want to talk about this, um, this idea of outside money trumping inside money. Uh, the idea that money can't just be created out of thin air, that it has to be something tangible beneath it. And we're sort of seeing that being introduced, that concept reintroduced perhaps to Americans. Certainly modern-day Americans know nothing about money that had anything tangible attached to it other than perhaps the American, the U.S. military, if you call that tangible. Uh, so the idea that, um, you know, was sort of introduced by Vladimir Putin, essentially, when he told unfriendly countries 
if they want to buy his natural gas, they're going to have to pay for it in rubles or they're going to have to, or gold. Um, and so the notion now all of a sudden that countries, you know, you, you have to have natural gas, you have to have commodities, you have to have food, things, tangible things to live on. You can't just live on some sort of a, a notion uh, that, that money is, when it has nothing real to it. So what are, what are your thoughts about this? How, do you think this, this thing about outside money, which is based commodity-based money, really could sort of force the, uh, you know, the make-believe money, the money, the fiat money created out of thin air uh, out? Might we really see a, a change in the global monetary system towards a commodity-based money? Uh, AJ, yeah, it's completely possible that uh, that we're at the beginning of that process. So let, let me take a step back, though, to kind of set the stage. Uh-huh. Uh, because for, for, you know, as long as we've been alive, the U.S. has had the world's reserve currency. The dollar has been the most important kind of money that circulates in the world uh, because you need it if you want to buy oil. Um, you need it in your central bank reserves to back up your own currency. And that's starting to change now. And you you kind of spelled out the mechanism by which it's changing. Uh, because the, the U.S. has been using its um, extraordinary privilege of having the world's reserve currency as a weapon. And because of that, it's made the U.S. dollar no longer a neutral asset. When, when you use dollars out in the world, you benefit one country or several countries at the expense of a lot of other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's... A, deeply annoying to a lot of the rest of the world. And I, apparently the U.S. doesn't realize that mm-hmm. it's cutting its own throat by weaponizing the dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're seeing the result of that lately with uh, Russia and China and India, among others, cutting trade deals with each other in their own currencies. And now in the wake of the, the sanctions that flowed from the Russia-Ukraine war, um, Russia is is doing it in a lot more explicit way, where, like you said, they're saying, yeah, you know, uh, we've got all this gas and all this oil, but if you want it, you got to pay us rubles, which means the buyers of Russian natural gas, for instance, have to go out and get rubles from somewhere and, uh, and then spend it on their, their energy purchases. And that pushes the foreign exchange rate of the, of the ruble up. So all of a sudden, you know, the, the ruble tanked. They were, there were all these jokes at the beginning of the, um, uh, of the war about the ruble is now rubble. But then yeah. uh, Russia went to the um, their, their commodity-based monetary policy here, and the ruble's back up. It's now a, a pretty strong currency based on its its trading behavior because people have to have rubles in order to buy natural gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a lesson for a lot of the rest of the world who and and they're watching it with interest. You know, China has been um, accumulating gold for years now. Um, with the idea at some point probably of uh, of backing their currency either explicitly or implicitly with gold. And over the last couple of years, they've been accumulating a huge amounts of natural resources from around the world. So they're, they're big buyers of a lot of different things that are now in shortage around the world, which means um, other things being equal, their currency is, is backed pretty well by stuff that everybody needs. Uh, so this is just the beginning of this process. It's got a lot lot way a lot further to go but um, that we are starting in that direction is a huge deal because um, there there are probably 10 trillion too many u.s dollars in the world um 
if the world is going to go to some kind of, um, you know, multipolar monetary system where commodities play a big role. And uh, all of a sudden, what, what do we do with that $10 trillion out there? They'll probably come back home and, uh, and will be used to buy U.S. assets, which will push prices up here and the value of the dollar down. So it's a, it's a really inflationary scenario if um, the world moves away from dollars. So it's an extremely big deal that we're seeing start here. Yeah, and the countries that produce the things that the rest of the world needs, uh, you know, I mean, for so many, as you pointed out, for so many years, we created money out of nothing and used it to buy up the world's goods, lost our own manufacturing base, essentially, uh, to a great extent anyway. Uh, so I wonder, uh, it's, it's not, I think with regard to the dollar, uh, it's not just, it's not just um, this supply chain issue that's related to the war and previous to that. COVID, but it's also a matter of uh, the dollar itself being a weak, essentially, intrinsically a weak currency. Alistair McLeod pointed out last week in his article uh, that it's uh, the emer- it isn't just the supply chain thing, but basically uh, it's the destruction of, of money by the, you know using uh, applying Keynesian economic policies since 1971. The underlying move away from uh, strictly fiat-based money. To commodity-based money um, is, you know, it's not just it's not just this commodity issue shortage and supply chain issues, but also the fact that the U.S. dollar itself uh, is uh, is suspect. It's it's heavily um, indebted. I mean, the United States economy. Um, I think uh, we're we're 130 percent U.S. budget, U.S. Uh, deficit. I think we're 130 percent of GDP. Uh, the, the debt, I should say. Uh, compared to less than 20% for Russia, for example. So do you see that as, as, you know, maybe something Americans aren't really recognizing, but Russia and China, our adversarial nations, are very much aware uh, that, you know, we are, we're owing the rest of the world so much more than they owe us. You, you think they're not unaware of that, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah, people are painfully aware of that they uh I, I think for the longest time now countries have been wanting to start this process but they were afraid of what would happen you know because we we still have a lot of weapons with which to punish countries who step out of line monetarily but um, now it's finally starting to happen and and you know you and i've been talking about this as an investment thesis for yeah. years oh where, for years yeah yeah where, where um capital will start flowing out of financial assets like treasury bonds and cash and bank stocks and into commodities, into real things that governments can't just make more of out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're seeing that happen at an industrial level where uh, everybody's starting to stockpile nickel and copper and things like that. And at a, uh, a national level where central banks and governments are starting to think this way. Mm-hmm. So, th- yeah, this is a, a potentially a, a trend that has serious legs because it's just getting started. So we, we could see like a 20-year process in which this this um, shift over to real assets gathers steam until um, that's just the natural way that currencies are backed. We maybe, we, maybe we go back to a gold standard, maybe we have some other kind of a, a standard relating to real stuff, like mm-hmm. Russia with its um, kind of an oil and gas-based currency right now, right? It's, uh, it, its value is derived from the fact that Russia has huge energy resources. And if you want those resources, you got you got to get rubles. And um, so in effect, their currency is backed by oil and gas. 
uh, they're on an energy standard. And uh, we, we could see variations of that spring up around the world as we kind of coalesce around one strategy or another. I think it'll probably be a global gold standard at some point. Mm -hmm. But along the way, um, other commodities are liable to play a big role in this process of uh, definancialization and de-dollarization. Mm -hmm. um, and we're right at the beginning. <laughs> Buy gold. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, so the title of our show, Markets to Own with Outside Money Trumping Inside Money. And so markets to own, if you, if, you know, if what the world needs, that's what you want to own. You want to own tangible assets, commodities, gold, silver, and that sort of thing. If that, those money monetary monies become really used as money again. Uh, but I want to ask you, you know, there's a debate uh, about interest rates. Which way are they going to go? Lacey Hunt, for example, a, a wonderful interview that he did uh, with uh, Adam Taggart recently. I watched it and listened to it. It was very interesting. Lacey shows, you know, uh, evidence and a lot of different academic studies that show that when you get as heavily debted as the U.S. is, you cannot raise rates. Rates won't Rates cannot go very high because of the debt. On the other hand, um, Alistair McLeod uh, steps outside of the of our experience and says, yes, actually the Fed and central banks have two choices. They can either defend the currency and let interest rates find their natural equilibrium, or they can try to uh, keep interest rates low uh, and print money as much as needed to keep them low, to suppress them and destroy the currency. Now, in the real world that we're living in now, it seems as though Japan is in the process of practicing the latter alternative. They have said they're going to keep interest rates suppressed, and they're starting to print money, and the yen is seemingly going to hell in a handbasket. What are your thoughts about which way this might go um, if you accept the idea that there just really are two those two alternatives? Either you defend the currency, Run the you run your country into a, a, a heck of a depression, um, or you just keep printing and the currency uh, disintegrates. Well, you spelled out the dilemma very well there. The Fed is in a box with no real solution. They they only have a choice of horrible crash on one side and accelerating possibly hyperinflation followed by a horrible crash crash on the other side that's 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 all they can um, work with right now mm -hmm. and and which they choose is is yet to be seen because they're making noises like they think the uh, the current rate of inflation has to be brought down and that no matter what else happens they're going to get inflation back down to their two percent target which means they've got to raise interest rates they've got to uh, uh, shrink the fed's balance sheet and tighten in whatever other way they can come up with um, to bring inflation back down, and that will blow up the leverage speculating community, which is basically everybody these days. You know, everybody who who de depends on borrowing money at low interest rates for their financial survival. Um, so the the system would break down if interest rates go up much higher. And Jay, you know, it's it's interesting. We might because you and I have talked about what's the interest rate that blows up the system. You know, there's yeah. a number out there. Mm -hmm. Well, we might have seen that number last week when the five-year Treasury note hit three percent. Because mm -hmm. uh, wow. the it, it was above the ten year, so we had a, an inversion of that part of the yield curve, and a nice round number of three percent. Now, since then, interest rates have been going back down. The economy has been weakening. The stock market has been tanking. Like like today, the Nasdaq is down three point seven percent, and the Dow's down seven hundred and twenty eight points. You know, it's a really bad stock market day. 
which basically looks like a, a temper tantrum does or a taper tantrum. Yeah. With, with the difference being that previous taper tantrums happened in a low inflation environment and now we're in a high inflation environment. So they, they might not be able to stop in time um, to keep the stock market from really collapsing. Well, maybe that's what has to happen in order yeah. to get things back in the track. And uh, Lance Roberts, uh, who Ad, um, Adam Tiger interviews weekly, had a very interesting insight, I think, that I want to get your idea on it. Lance says, watch for financial instability. If the markets, if the banks start having trouble, you can bet your bottom dollar that the Fed will come to the rescue because the Fed is owned by these large uh, money center banks, essentially. They yeah. are there to protect the banks. So I guess a clue for people, if you want to really know when the Fed is going to go from QT to QE again, watch the banking system, right? Do you, does that make yes. sense to you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But here's where it gets interesting, because if they do that, if they capitulate and go back to easy money, while inflation is still five, six, seven, ten percent, you know, whatever it's going to be at the time, um, that is a huge psychological change for everybody because then we'll realize that it's over. You know, there will never be normal interest rates and a, a normal level of, of money growth again. We, we have no choice but easy money to the horizon. And then, you know, you think commodities are strong right now. <laughs> wait, wait till we wait till that happens because yeah. everybody will be trying to get their hands on real stuff. Right. Well, they'll blow up the system and then they'll have to have a new system. And maybe, uh, just maybe, we live within the four dimensions of time and space and we come back to reality instead of this religious um, experience we've had with Lord Keynes, perhaps. John, we're going to have to leave it go at that. My engineer is telling me you're out of time. Uh, sorry we shortchanged you on time today. We ran a little late on another interview. But uh, we'll, we'll have you back again sometime soon, I'm sure. Thank you so much for being with us. Great. Thanks, Jay. All right, folks, uh, that is it for this week. Next week, Bob Moriarty and Patrick Highsmith will be with me. Patrick will be here to talk about Timberline Resources, a company that's on to a very significant, I believe, uh, Carlin-style gold discovery. Until then, till next Tuesday, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.